0: Hello. <laughs> so last week we got to talk about submission, and then Peter's gonna go and bring us another passage that we have to wrestle through. So, uh, welcome. Glad you're here. We're gonna be in First Peter once again. We're gonna be in chapter three this morning. My name's Dan. If you don't know me, hi. Uh, nice to meet you. We're gonna be in chapter three, verses eight to eleven for most of our time this morning. But I want to start with just a little thing that I, I think I figured out something about the Bible this week. You guys can tell me if I'm right or wrong. I th- have come to the conclusion that Peter could possibly be the biblical poster child for conflict. Right? And I want to submit to you this morning that I think that he is uniquely qualified and equipped to speak to us today on this topic Which is reducing conflict with people. Now let me let me lay it out for you, and then we'll we'll have a vote. But Peter, in his younger years, you know, as we see him come into Jesus' posse, right, hanging out with Jesus, I think he suffered from what I would like to call foot and mouth disease. Does anybody know what that is? It's anybody else suffer? It's the twin. I know I do. It's when you open mouth, insert foot, and you say the wrong thing at the right time or the right thing at the wrong time, but never the right thing at the right time. That was me as a teenager. If anybody knew Awkward Dan back in the day, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) Not much has changed. But uh, from the scriptural account, we can see that Peter... His heart was right, but he would get so excited in the heat of the moment that he would just say the first thing that popped into his head he would write checks with his mouth that his ability and maturity weren 't ready to cash right and before we know all before someone else someone did his heart was right he was in the right spot, but he would overpromise and under deliver now, I will point out that someone's biggest fault or weakness is often the key to their strength. So I do not want to undermine Simon Peter at all. You know, in Matthew 14, we see him with the boldness and faith to say to Jesus, tell me to step out of the boat and walk with you something that I have tried to replicate many a time, but has never worked. Or just a couple chapters later in Matthew 16, we see Peter through the guidance of the Holy Spirit saying and giving the response of, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, to which Jesus responded to him, you are the rock and on that I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He's an apostle, he's the rock, he's part of Jesus' inner three, a foundational piece of what God was going to do and is continuing to do. But it's also Peter who thought it was his place to take Jesus aside and be like, when Jesus was speaking of his death in, in Matthew 16, for him to pull Jesus aside and say, no, no, this can't be you. May it never happen to you. It was to Jesus, that, or to Peter, that Jesus had to rebuke and come back to him and say, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And six days later, we see Peter hanging out on the mountaintop with James and John and Jesus. When Jesus... When Jesus is transfigured and and lit up like the sun, and his holiness is shown to them. And what does Peter do? Peter, never at a loss for words, comes to Jesus in that moment and says, It's so good that we're here with you, Jesus. Do you want me to put up some tents for you and for Elijah and for Moses? And he had to be interrupted by the voice of God booming from the heavens, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. And one more, we see Peter in Galatians when he's hanging out with Paul and they're all gathered together and they're feasting with the new Gentile converts and all of a sudden Peter hears that there's some Jews coming to town that, that may not be too fond of what's going on and he pulls back. And it says in Galatians 2, and 13, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. See, Peter had been hanging out with them, eating with them, fellowshipping with them, all the new, child, gen, new Gentile believers until a group of Jewish believers came to town and Paul knew that Peter was wrong Paul knew that what Peter was doing could cause conflict in the lives of these new believers. So Paul was willing to oppose him to his face. And we can assume that it all worked out well because in 2 Peter, which we're not in today, Peter writes about Paul, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul wrote about to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Just want you to think about the dynamics that happen in our relationships in life. Conflict is natural, right? Does anybody have a conflict-free relationship? No, because it'd just be one person. And even then, i beat myself up better than anybody. So, that said, Peter knew a thing or two about conflict. So you can trust that today he will give us insight at least for what not to do. So let's dig into our passage for this morning and see what God has to say in his word about how to reduce conflict with others. First Peter 3, 8 to 12 says this. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble, Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this place and this time, God, that we get to come together and be your people. Lord, I pray over the reading of your word this morning, God, that our eyes and ears will be opened Lord, that you'll help me to get out of the way, that your truth will be proclaimed clearly in a way that we can understand, in a way that will cut to our hearts, in a way that makes us look more like you in all we say, think, and do. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So Peter begins to lay out for us six attitudes in this passage. So we got a six-point sermon. I promise I will talk really fast. We will get out of here on time. We're not. We'll see. Um, six attitudes, and here's what I want you to do as we go through these attitudes in your outline today. I want you to take personal survey for a moment. I want you to write next to the attitude as you fill in the blank on the scale of one to 10 how you feel you're doing with that attitude. Now, you gotta be realistic. 10 is nobody does this better than me but Jesus, right? And a number one is What are we even talking about? I'm just here because I thought there was gonna be snacks. So I want you to do that and you might be thinking and asking why. There's a hair floating, easily distracted. Why, Pastor Dan? Because self-reflection and taking an honest account of where we are as Christians will help enable us to take steps forward and make decisions that help us look more like Christ. Christ. This isn't in your outline, but you know, Jesus' younger half-brother, James, in his book writes it this way. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at themselves in the mirror and then immediately turns away and forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Do we want to be blessed in what we do? Do we want to live lives that are fruitful and represent Jesus to the world that we live in? Some These people up here do. I don't know about the rest. Of, do we want to? Church, do we? <laughs> I don't, only if you mean it, with clappers back there I love it but here's the deal what's the point in coming together on Sunday morning if we don't leave looking more like Jesus so that's what we're going to do here today so my friends it is important right now in our time together today that we not only hear from God through his word but we recognize its authority over our life and that we internalize it and that we act upon it not just on Sunday but all the other A's right Cool. This is as true for me as it is for you. So today we're going to look at having the right attitudes to reduce conflict. We're going to start in First Peter 3, 8. It says this, finally all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. First outline for you to fill in today is sympathy. How are you doing with sympathy? <laughs> sympathy means this to understand and validate or affirm someone's feelings. And add this part on, not their ideas, but their feelings. As believers, we are to be unified in what we believe. That's meaning, you know, the basics and essentials of the gospel and our Christian faith, but sympathy carries in it the idea that we are to feel Pain for or sympathize with those going through a difficult time, both believers and unbelievers. For my friend Greg, who I had to wake up in the parking lot this morning and say, hey, you can't be here with the way you are right now. I'm called to sympathize with him, which is hard for me sometimes. None of you guys, but just just for me, In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer says this, that in Jesus Christ, we have a high priest who, what, sympathizes with us because he's gone through it all and he can understand us. So we too must understand the feelings, not their ideas, but the emotions that they're feeling, their anxieties, their struggles, their pains, and their hurts. Are you ready for this? This is where you get to put on your your priest pants like we talked about a few weeks ago and you get to become a biblical counselor, a bridge builder, right? This is the moment when you listen to people. We talked about that a little bit last week. You listen to them. You find out what kind of hurt they have because you're a good listener. You're not just trying to solve it. You take them to God's word and find the truth and then you help them put it together. Not from your own wisdom, but from God's word. In scripture, it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that though we live in the world, we do not wage war the way the world does, right? The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. We do not go out with our gospel guns, right? But we have spiritual weapons, it says. On the contrary, we have divine power, to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Think about that for a second. As we're trying to help someone through their struggle, we're taking God's truth from his word. We're understanding where they're coming from and we're helping them bring those two together and apply scripture to their life. So how do we become sympathetic? Because sometimes it's hard, right? We get callous. No? You see the same person on the same street the same time every day, my heart gets callous. So here's what James says. James 1:19. be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Right? This means that we have to use these twice as much as we use this. If you don't hear people and what they're going through in life, you're never gonna know how to be sympathetic towards them. And if you're the one, and we all know who these people are, I'm probably one of them. The one that is so ready to jump in and engage in conversation and give them a bunch of truth, you're never really gonna know what's going on in their life. In your outline, I identify this area as the idea of seek to understand before being understood. Romans 15.2 says that we as Christians must bear The burden of being considerate, and I want you to circle these two words on your outline, with the doubts and fears of others. It's been said this way, right? People don't know, or people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think that's Teddy Roosevelt, but God's word says it even better. First Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I have not love, I am just like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I was really tempted to make sure the sound guys had the thing on and to like mess up all your ears. You're welcome, I did not, but think about that. A cymbal can be pretty, right? A gong is a beautiful sound, but if you just sit on there and bang on it, if I brought my five-year-old Boaz up here and put him on the drum set, you, (laughs) you would not be happy with Pastor Dan. We would have conflict. But then I would tell you that you must be patient with me. So, hey, (laughs) let me paint a picture for you how this works. I have some good friends who got married. um, But just like in most relationships, they brought baggage to the marriage that neither of them really knew about or had not communicated well. The girl in the marriage, at a young age, her father had up and left her family. And then her first marriage, the husband just left her. So she's bringing into the marriage, what? Abandonment issues and worry and fear that it's just going to happen again. And then my other friend was a a veteran from the U.S. Army who served in war and has major PTSD issues. And so through godly biblical counseling has been taught that the moment when he feels that tension in his life where he's going to blow up, To turn around and walk away from it and have a moment. And we're not talking about weeks or days or hours, but minutes. And so you put those two together. And you can begin to see why it might be problematic to their relationship. He walks in the door. Things get a little intense. So he turns around to walk out so he doesn't blow up on her and say something that would be hurtful or trigger, and that triggers her abandonment issues, hurting her far more than his words or grumpy attitude would have done. See, when you're trying to solve problems, especially in relationships, you can't just treat the symptoms. You have to dig down and address the root cause, the doubts and fears that are always at the heart of conflict especially in relationships, and not just marriage relationships, but business relationships, family relationships, our friends, the doubts and fears creep up. So you can talk about the symptoms and the behaviors that you don't like and all that stuff, but it means nothing until you drill down and address the doubts and the fears that the other person has. And you'll never really be able to be part of the solution until you begin to listen be willing to do the hard work of letting them share with you and to do that what do we have to do we have to use these more than we use this so she had to be willing to be vulnerable and communicate with him how his actions affected her and he had to be willing to explain the reasons behind the way he acted the way he did And then they had to come together and find a way to manage and handle those fears and those doubts. In the intense moment, before stepping away, he learned that he had to come to her and give her a big hug and say, babe, I love you. I'm not going anywhere. I just need a minute. I'm gonna take out the trash, right? And she had to be willing to not put him in the same box as her father and her past relationship and understand the love and not give in to the fear. So number one is that. We must act with sympathy. And then we must, Peter goes on to say, also verse eight, we must love as brothers. Next fill in the blank is loyalty. Loyalty, Church, how are you doing with loyalty? I love that the the fill-in-the-blanks aren't filled in this week. I had no clue last week. That would have thrown me off. But now I say it, and I see all your heads go down, so I know everything is perfect. Loyalty. Give yourself a score. Are you as loyal as Jesus or as the neighborhood cat that only comes around when you give them treats, right? In other words, right, Here's what Peter's saying, we're on the same team. We're not competing against one another. It isn't win or lose, me versus you, we're on the same team and we need to make sure that we understand that. In relationships, right, when someone irritates you, and I know none of you get irritated, but we all know some people get irritated, When someone irritates you, here's what happens. When the irritation's going on, you begin to focus on the problem. And that person becomes what? The enemy, because they're the one bringing irritation into your life. So you begin to attack them rather than attacking the problem. We're not attacking the fears and the doubts. We start attacking them as a person. And Peter comes along to remind us that we're all on the same team. For you high school musical fans out there, you know we're all in this together. Here's what Paul says in Romans 12:10. He says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. You know, back in the day on the schoolyard, I could trash my family as much as I wanted to, right? If I had something bad to say about my brother or my parents, everyone's like, That's cool. But if you say something about my parents, we're fighting. <laughs> because that's my family, it's just that's what happens, <laughs> right? We're not called to agree with them or, or be happy with them all the time, but we're called to love our family and to protect because we're on the same team. God accepts you. I want you to know that. He doesn't always approve of everything you're doing. That's why we confess, right? Right? In relationships, we accept everyone, but we do not accept what they're doing. We're not called to like and to agree, but we are called to love and show Christ's love to all, Christian and non-Christian, those who line up with us ideologically and those who don't. And he continues on, 1 Peter 3, 8 Not only are we to sympathize, not only are we to, what's the second one? Be loyal, but we are to be compassionate. How are you doing with compassion, church? This is kind of a cool word because it actually means to be felt in your gut. Like that guttural feeling when you hear of a need and you're like, I gotta do it, right? The Greek word, Sompathes means suffering or feeling the like with another. Not feeling for them, but feeling with them. And it's even cooler when you look at the idea in the Hebrew, which I know I'm going to say the word wrong. Dad, Gino, I apologize. Splagnizomai, which means to be moved as to the bowels. Right, church, and when your bowels are moving, it's time to go, right? (laughs) The bowels in that time were thought to be the seat of emotion. We say we love everyone with our heart, but they loved them with their bowels. Jesus uses this in Matthew 14, 14, when it says that he, when he landed from the boat, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion, splagnidzomai, on them, Meaning he felt in his gut and it moved him. And it moved him to what? It moved him to action. It says that he healed their sick. Sympathy is understanding their problems. Compassion moves us to action. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself in good feelings for the person, No, clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. As Christians, the kind of compassion that we are called to have through the Holy Spirit is one of action. There are a few ways the Bible tells us how we're supposed to have compassion, the first one being in Ephesians 4.29. It says, speak what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen, right? We're supposed to speak into the situation, not tearing them down, not saying, oh, man, you must have done something really bad to get yourself in this situation. You're a real screw-up. No, we're supposed to speak words of truth and of love that will build them up according to their needs, The second thing we're supposed to do is found in 1 John 3, 18, where it says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue only, but with actions and with truth. That's where we're called to action by what we hear, and we're actually moved to do something about it. Got it? We listen, and then we act. Act. So we're called to live in harmony with one another, to be sympathetic, to love his brothers, to be compassionate. And the fourth one is this 1 Peter 3 8, again, be humble. Humility. How are you doing? How's your humility going? 1 Corinthians 13 4 says, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. That's a pretty good definition of humility, right there. Whatever you have pride in, right? When you have pride in a relationship, it leads to conflict, right? The unholy trio of conflict bringers, we talked about two fear and doubt. And when you throw in the third, pride, you're in big trouble. Has anybody ever been in a relationship with someone who's proud? Right? Maybe they have that I have to win at all costs kind of mindset. I'll tell you a story, another buddy, not the same guy as before, and no, I won't tell you his name because he might watch this. I have a buddy who I've never finished a board game with because when he's winning, it's pie in the sky, cloud nine, we're on top of the world kind of thing, but the moment that the risk dice, that's like a little war game, You guys don't know risk. When the risk dice start rolling in my favor and my little army starts to pick away at his defenses, he's one of these guys. He goes, and the whole table just flies. And risk pieces are really small and there's a lot of them. And so then you're picking up for the next hour. He lets his pride move him to action that he later regrets because it's unChristlike and unbecoming and childish. Now I know none of you struggle with pride, but I wanted to give you that example of how we should not act. Proverbs 13:10 puts it this way. Pride only leads to arguments. So what's the opposite of pride? Humility. And what is humility? Humility is the ability to speak the truth about your weakness, your insecurities, your fear, your doubts, your life. Pride builds walls around us to protect us from someone being able to see and see that we're not perfect. Here's the problem, friends. A lot of us on Sunday morning walk into church pretending like we have it all together and our pride stops us from coming to God's throne of grace in humility and say that we're broken and sinful and imperfect people. People that can only stand here, the only reason I can stand before you today is because I've been made holy, not by anything that I've done or could ever do, but by the free gift of grace and mercy of Jesus on the cross. The price that he paid, his death, his resurrection, his glory that's been given to us. 1 Peter 3, 9, right? He goes on to say this, never pay back one wrong for another. And I want to pause there for a minute and remind you of the context of who Peter is writing to. A group of new believers who are being persecuted and martyred for their faith, right? Crazy leader Nero wanted to expand the kingdom, burnt down the slums. Nobody liked it, so he finds a scapegoat. He's like, let's blame those Christians over there. I heard they drink blood and eat bodies, and they're cannibals, so we don't like them. And so he turns the wrath of the country against the Christians. And that's what Peter's writing to when he says, never pay back one wrong for another, They were being used as torches. They were being put into the Colosseum as prey for the lions. Do not pay back a wrong for another or pay back an angry word for another one. Instead, pay it back with a blessing so that you may inherit a blessing yourself. This is the one we call mercy. How you doing on mercy, family? Because if I ask you, who wants to be blessed, everyone's gonna put up their hand, right? Peter's saying here that if you want to inherit a blessing, you have to be merciful. The definition of mercy is this. It's in your outline. Mercy is giving more kindness than justice demands. When there's conflict in a relationship, it takes a boatload of mercy not to retaliate. I'm not saying that it's easy. You know, how do we look at a verse like this and hear not to return a curse for a curse, but rather a curse for a blessing? You know, when someone yells at me, I yell back. (laughs) When someone honks their horn at me, that's why God put a horn in my my Jeep Grand Cherokee sometimes i want to install the big horn so it's like this is something that we cannot do on our own because in ourselves what we want to do is we want to step back and we want to say okay god send the bears or open up the ground and let it swallow them right where they're at but that's not what god wants to do he wants to show mercy We're called to show God's love to them. This isn't in your outline, but it reminds me of Romans 5.8, right, where it says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. While we were still God's sworn enemy, the Bible says that we put ourselves at enmity with God. We rebelled against him. he had every right to just execute justice on us and instead he chose mercy and not mercy that was easy or free to give but mercy that cost him part of himself his own son i thought i figured that one out too until about five years ago when my first kid was born I thought I loved people, but now I look at you and I'm like, you want me to give up my son for you? Eh. I mean, do you love Jesus? Have fun with him, right? But if, maybe, maybe if it's someone that doesn't know God yet, maybe, but probably not. But God demonstrated his love for us that way. Jesus was mocked on the cross, but what did he say? Lord, forgive them. That takes a boatload of mercy. Colossians 3.13 says, forgive as you have been forgiven. Right? Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. How much have you been forgiven? It's time to forgive that much. 1 Corinthians 13 Four to six, love keeps no records of wrong. Let's have some fun with that one. Some of you, in your brains, right? You may not know where you set your car keys down last night. You don't know where your slippers are. You're gonna be lucky if you find your car on the way out of church in the parking lot. But you can recall absolute specifics of when that last person hurt you. In fact, you got them in a, in the file cabinet, color-coded, time-stamped, ready to go. And how crazy is it how vivid our memory is when it comes to something like that? Matthew 18, 21 to 22 says this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And this is him trying to go above and beyond. So he he throws out there and this is to be funny. He says, "Should it be seven up to seven times, Jesus?" And he's expecting Jesus to say, "Dude, that's way too much. You are too holy. Peter, calm down. Maybe three. Three times." But instead, what does Jesus say? Not seven times, but 77 times, or some translations, seven times seven, which is 49, so I like that translation better. Carlos, congratulations. That's all I'm gonna say. That guy was off sides, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) What Jesus is saying is we forgive forever. An unlimited number of times, the same forgiveness he shows us, we choose to obey And through his power, show others. We're almost there, family. I'll keep going. So we have to get rid of that file cabinet. Throw it out. Carlos will come pick it up for you. Right? We have to choose to forgive. In 1 Peter 3, verse 10 says this. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. The last thing we have to learn to do, family, is be mature. Maturity. How you doing with that one? My notepad popped open. Sometimes one of the things that I've advised people as they're going through conflict is to not just go talk to the person while you're still upset, but to type it out or write it out, get it out on paper, and then shred it, right? You may never give that copy to the person of all the things you worked out, but at least then you've processed it. Because when we're not level headed, when we're not thinking with our heads square, straight on, it's easy to lose control. And one of the things that I know God wants us to be is in control, pure hearted, and level headed when we're dealing with conflict. James puts it this way in chapter three of his book. He says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And it itself is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Family, we've got to be real careful with what we say and how we say it. Another, just just side note, discussing, discussing relational problems for you young people over text or email is a real bad idea. Things can get lost in translation. I have a two-text policy. If you send me a question and I can't answer it within two texts, you're getting a phone call from me because we have some things we gotta clarify. I wanna end our time with this. Proverbs 12:18 says this. Thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword. But wisely spoken words can heal. In other words, you know the old motto, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me? It's not true. Our words have the power to build up and to tear down, to mend what is broken and shatter it again, to speak light into dark places Or be the darkness bearer? Family, that's our challenge for this week. Can we be those who help restore in areas of conflict? Can we be careful with our words? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time and this place that we get to come and be your people, God. Lord, I'm so thankful your word God teach us to be people who who act in a godly way that live lives that that reduce conflict and not build it Holy Spirit we we pray that you help us to continue to grow in these six areas God in sympathy and loyalty and compassion and humility and mercy and immaturity God, help us to take stock of the reality of where we're at in each of those areas and take one step closer to you. God, I pray that no one will leave this place looking the same as when they walked in, but that we'll all leave just looking a little bit more like you in all that we think, in all that we say, and in all that we do. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never taken that step of faith to ask Jesus into your life to be your personal Lord and Savior, I'd invite you to pray this prayer with me right now where you're at. Pray, Lord Jesus, today, I admit to you, God, that I'm a sinner and that I've missed the mark. And Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God that you died on the cross for my sin, and that you rose again. Lord, today I confess that you are my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me a brand new creation in Christ. I love you. Amen. Hey, family, we'll be back here next week to continue our study in First Peter. Two quick announcements before you go. I would like to show you a picture of Adriana Stevens and Michael Holliday. They have joined our church staff. She is going to be our director of preschool and children's ministries, which means that over the next couple weeks I get to fire my wife, which is really exciting. So um, that's announcement number one. Announcement number two is in your bulletin. We still have the paper for nominations for our pastor search committee. Um, That is happening last week, this week, and two more weeks we will be collecting nominations for our nominating committee to look at and discuss and then choose nine, or 15 to bring before you, which then will be voted on at a special church business meeting, and nine will be elected to our pastor search committee. And the last reminder is in just about 15 minutes over in the small fellowship hall Anyone that has students or children that wanna go to camp, we have forms ready for you to sign up to send your kids to camp, especially for parents with kids. If you sign up today and give your first deposit, you get 60 bucks off your price of camp, so that's a good deal. Cool, that's all I got for you guys, I love you. Go in God's grace and peace and go be the church. Over here to my left, your right, are some encouragers who would love to pray and talk to you if you made a decision. Sorry friends, I forgot. (laughs)